All right, housekeeping's done. Now, now we jump into 1 John. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, we are, we're here uh, this week and next week, and then we're going to start Advent, uh, the beginning of December. Um, and then we'll pick back up on 1 John in January when we come back. And just a couple things, too. There's going to be some announcements at the end, but just to remind you, um, we will not be gathering on New Year's Eve. Uh, we're, we're not in here. It'll be a Sunday just to, to be with family and, and blow stuff up, because um, that's what family does with, you know, legal fireworks. Uh, so make sure you take advantage of that. But we will be here on Christmas Eve morning. And so last year, we got to do our very first Christmas Day worship service, and it was probably my favorite thing that we did all year. Um, we just gathered with no sound, no nothing, just chairs. We didn't even have coffee, which is crazy. Uh, we will probably have hot chocolate and coffee on Christmas Eve morning. But um, if you're in town, we would love for you to come that morning and just worship with us, uh, hear the Christmas story, sing some Christmas songs, and just worship Jesus who came as a baby. And so uh, we're excited about that. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 7. We're going to do a few, just a, a short section today. Um, and I'm going to pray, because like I said, I'm scattered. Uh, I'll be honest, I think I'm getting a migraine, and so my brain is, is a bit scrambled right now, so not sure, not sure what's going to come out. So maybe pray that, that nothing crazy comes out. So God, we love you. Thank you so much for, uh, for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Uh, God, thank you that through him we can, uh, we can truly know uh, you who made it all. Um, God, as, as impossible as that should be, you made it possible through him. Uh, God, today as we look at one more of these places where uh, John is telling us that this is another proof that we know you, God, I pray that we would see it as a proof, we'd see it as encouragement, but also, God, we'd see it as direction as to what we need to do and how we should live as a result of what Jesus has done in us. Um, God, thank you again for salvation. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. When we started the book of 1 John, I talked about uh, John writes in a circular fashion. Like he's not writing like Paul in which Paul kind of lays it out. Like he'll throw out like an intro welcome and the reason for his letter and then he'll kind of address issue by issue by issue. He was, he was systematic in that nature. Uh, John at this stage, maybe it's the stage he is in his life or maybe it's just he's got a lot going on in his mind and there's some, tons of issues that he wants to address with these, these seven city or house churches kind of a thing that he's addressing. But either way, it's kind of a circular letter. And so he'll start, he'll say a few things, he'll leave it alone for a little bit, then he's going to come back to it. And so today is kind of like an introduction of a topic uh, that we will cover in, in like a chapter and a half later, uh, but we'll cover it a couple times. And so today my, my goal is uh, to not give that away. If you're reading ahead in First John, I welcome it. Please read ahead. You could read it in one sitting. Read it several times so that you're going to be familiar when it gets there. But the challenge is with this particular text, most of the places that I would offer support from the rest of Scripture for this would be a chapter and a half later. You know, a chapter later, a chapter and a half later. And I'm going to reference a few, but I also want to cover those uh, in depth as we get to those in, in January, most likely. Um, but this is one of those texts, like I talked about when, when John kind of began and we, we introed this book, that uh, it's just, man, it's just like clear, simple handles on, on this life of us following Jesus, like clear instruction. And, and I, I talked about last week, like, the older, the older I get, the longer that I follow Jesus. Like, I crave that. Like, I crave the simple instruction of God. Like, I want to know, like, I, I'll be honest, I, I approach Scripture from an academic, you know, kind of stance. Like, I want to know the why and the what, the who. I want to know all of those things. And I, I still desire to know those. Uh, but the longer that I follow Jesus, this, sound, this may sound crazy, but, um, but I listen more than I study, if, if that makes sense. Like, 
I'm at this place now where I just, I just want to hear. Like, I've studied for a long time, and I will always continue to study and, and kind of approach Scripture from an academic place, but, like, I just, I just want to hear from God at this point. Like, I want to hear, like, why do I do this, and, and what do I need to do, and why do I avoid this? And in this particular passage that we're going to look at today, 7 through 11, um, it's just an area of, like, if you know God, then this is the case. Like we've talked about, he gave a series of if-then statements, or by this we know, or, or things like that. So this is more uh, uh, proofs that we know God, but there's also some responsibility that's going to be attached to it for us. Um, and we'll look at that. The application is going to be, you know, just, man, how do we do this? And so let's start chapter 2, verse 7. And, and I will go ahead and preface this. Uh, probably the most confusing verse in the book of First John is going to be in this particular chunk today. And we're going to do our best to give some, some good explanation on that, but not, not linger there and get, get caught in the weeds. So here we go. Chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John is going to do uh, kind of some mutually exclusive terms again. Like we talked about uh, when we were in our second week, he tossed out this, this light and darkness idea, two things that cannot exist simultaneously. He also tossed out the idea of, of righteousness and sin. They cannot exist simultaneously. Um, but then in this particular place, he's going to talk about like love and hate, which are two things that cannot exist simultaneously. So John is great at using these very black and white terms, which I don't know why I'm using the juggling uh, symbol to describe those. I'm going to put my hands flat down. Uh, uh, but he uses these very black and white terms, just things that cannot exist simultaneously. And in this particular place, before we talk about the beginning, he's just going to toss out this, this idea or this test again, like uh, you can't be in the light because God is light, which we've already read. You can't be in the light if you hate your brother. Like it, it can't happen. And, and kind of contrast to that, he's like, and if, if you love your brother, then it's proof that you are in the light. And so some very simple ideas, some very simple tests that we'll get to in just a minute. But before we do, um, here's the confusing part, verses 7 and 8. So he starts out a couple things. He says, Beloved, those whom I love, I'm writing you no new commandment, or I'm not writing you anything new, uh, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Just like when we started in chapter 1, verses, you know, those first few verses, when he's saying in the beginning, most of the time when we think in the beginning, we go all the way back to, Galat I mean, to Genesis, like in the beginning God created, heavens and the earth, all of those things. That's not the beginning he's referencing here. Uh, we read Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture, and so we're interpreting this passage based on what he meant in chapter 1. And when he's talking about the beginning then, he's talking about the arrival, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. This was their beginning. This was the beginning of the gospel being real to them because he talks about, like, in this beginning, we saw him. We were there with him. We touched him. That's the beginning that he's referring to here. Um, and he said, I'm not giving you a new commandment. It's not new. It's not new. It's old. You've heard it from the very beginning. And based upon what he's going to write on in the rest of this letter, and even in this section, the commandment that he's talking about, uh, we find in John chapter 13, after Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But in 1334, uh, he says, look, um, you are to love one another as I have loved you. 
That's the new commandment. That's not new. It's old, but it's new, but it's old, but it's not new. You know, that, that's, that's the way I read this. And, and so we'll talk about why John's saying that in a second, but that's what he's referring to. He's like, this is the word that, that you've heard from your beginning, your beginning with Jesus that began probably before most of these folks that are reading this were even born. Like we talked about, this is in the late 90s, the end of that first century. And so these folks are probably one generation removed uh, from the people that were living while Jesus was walking. You know, there, there may be some other oldies in there, kind of like John is at this point, because John, John's up there. Like, he's an elder in every sense of the word. But he's talking to them. He's like, from your beginning with Jesus, you've heard about this by now. And at this stage in the, the life of the church, the ecclesia, like this idea of loving one another as Jesus loved you um, is going to be, you know, fairly common. It's probably going to be like a mantra that they would, you know, that they would have if we had mantras in the church. We don't. But, you know, if they did, it would be like, oh, we're to love one another like Jesus loved us. He told us to do that. Remember with the disciples, like he, he got down as a servant in the room of people that should have been servants, and he washed their feet. He made himself less than them, wrapped, you know, wrapped a towel around his waist and started washing each one of their feet. Like that's how we love one another. And they would have been familiar. They would have known it. He says, this, this is what I'm reminding you of. I'm telling you, I'm not writing you a new commandment. It's an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, the word that Jesus gave to love one another the way that he loves you. And so, like for us, um, when I say that this is like nice, good, simple handles, like this is, this may be the most applicable uh, way of revealing Jesus to this world, the way that we love each other. I'm not going to sugarcoat this because this is not like something that we achieve by effort. It's not something that we necessarily achieve by, you know, a to-do list of doing this, doing this, doing this. Oh, we love each other well. No, this is an act of God. Like this is something that God has reborn in us, the ability for us to be able to do. And why do I know that? I know that because he uses these as like indicators. Like, you know, this is proof that you know God if you love one another. Like this is proof. And so like, we need to understand, like, the type of love that he's referring to, the type of G- love that Jesus displayed, and he says, you need to love each other like this. Understand, this is not human love. Like, this not the way that I'm born, the way that I came out of the womb, into this world, kicking, screaming, crying, covered in all that stuff, not capable of this. Not in me. We can do our very best, but we'll fall short. Now, this is a different kind of love. Like, this is, this is God's love, the thing that he places in us as proof that we're actually in him, that we abide in him, that we walk in him. He says, this is, this is what I'm writing to you about, that commandment, that one that Jesus gave after he walked away from the table and, or sat back down at the table, put his clothes back on, and, and he told them, you see what I just did for you? Do you see what I just did? You too. You, you do it. You do it. And so he's like, beloved, I'm not writing you a new commandment, nothing new. It's an old one that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, that word. Verse 8, this is when he gets confusing. And there's not a, there's not a whole lot of agreeance in this. Like, um, like I, I don't know if you want to even know my process for studying and, and learning, but most of the time I'll read a text and, I, and I'll kind of write down what I believe that God is saying based upon what I know, based upon what he's revealing. And then I'll go to trusted resources that will either affirm that, confirm it, or be like, no, 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 Matthew, you're way off in left field. The problem is with verse 8, like you read several different sources, and there's like, you know, for every, you know, six resources that you read, there's six different answers, okay? But, but let me say this, verse 8, regardless of how we interpret it, doesn't have any bearing on the other few verses. It could have just been a bit of a, you know, Jahinian scramble. I don't know, okay? Here's what I think it means. Let's read it, and then I'll tell you what I believe that it means based on study prayer um, and also the text. It says, at the same time, it is a new commandment. 
but he's already said it wasn't. He said, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, like I said, you read a ton of different sources on, on what they believe that this is saying. Here, here's what I think that he's saying. At the time that Jesus gave this commandment, um, the church was yet to be born. The, the, the bride of Christ was not had not appeared yet because Jesus hadn't died. The Holy Spirit had not come to live in us, dwell in us um, that we see uh, in the book of Acts and later. Um, and I, what I believe that he's saying is the reason that I said that it's not new, that it's actually old, you heard it from the beginning, but now I'm saying it is new. I think he's pointing out that at the time that Jesus said it compared to now, now is different. Now is new. Because at the time that Jesus said it, like, you know, for Jesus to say, You're, you need to love one another as I, has loved, as I have loved you, like their understanding of the way that Jesus loved them was incomplete because they had only seen a little bit. They had seen him walk with them. They had seen him teach them. Uh, they had seen him uh, be patient with them. They had seen him uh, heal other people besides them, heal Peter's mother. They had seen that, but they hadn't seen the cross yet. They hadn't seen the resurrection yet. They hadn't seen the birth of the church yet. They hadn't seen Acts chapter 2 yet. They hadn't seen all of these things yet. And so what I think that John is trying to get at, it's old because you've heard it for a while, but it's new because we're living in an age now in which we've actually been able to see what Jesus meant when he said, I want you to love each other the way I've loved you. That's what I think he means. Because, you, again, context is everything. And for the life context of the people reading this circular letter that was going around to all the churches, um, they had already had about 60 years to see the effects of the resurrection. The disciples had yet to see that when Jesus said it in John chapter 13. They hadn't seen the birth of the church. They hadn't seen that they had all things in common, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They hadn't seen that yet. But now, 60-some-odd years later, after the disciples had been scattered, after Jerusalem had fallen and been destroyed, and after the gospel had spread where the people of God had landed, now they have seen it. Now they have seen the effects of the resurrection. They've seen the effects of the death of our Savior. They've seen the effects of Jesus' words in John chapter 13 to say, love one another as I've loved you that you're about to witness. Now it's new. And the reason I get emotional, even now, it would be new and revolutionary for the world to see us love each other like this. It would be new and revolutionary to a world that doesn't know Christ to see people love each other the way Jesus loves us. They would see it and they would be like, that is nothing I've seen before. Because it's not normal. It's not human. It's not man-made. It's not engineered. It's grace-driven and Jesus-inspired. Grace-driven, Jesus-inspired love. And to a world that doesn't know Jesus, it would be entirely new. But to us, it should be old. That's what I think John means. And so after, after all of that, he goes into these indicators that, that John loves to toss out, usually in if-then statements or by-this statements. But he just says this in verse 9. Like he already said, look, nothing old, it, nothing new, it's old, but it's new. Love one another as Jesus loved you. And then he says this in verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light 
By in the light, we mean with Jesus. We can already go, we can go back one chapter and we can read about that. If you missed it, go back and listen. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, he's still in the darkness. He's still in the darkness. I don't even need to break that down. Like, there's no reason to really explain that. Like, if someone claims to know Jesus, to be in the light, but he hates his brother, he doesn't know Jesus. Doesn't know Jesus. Again, love and hate can't exist simultaneously. You can't juggle them. I don't know. (laughs) That might be why I'm doing that. Like, you can't. They can't exist at the same time. But if someone claims Christ and they hate their brother, they they don't know Jesus. They're just, just words. Just words. The people that John was writing to, let me, let me make sure you understand the way they would have heard it. They would have heard it like this, and we, do, we need to as well. If you claim Christ and you hate your brother, you don't know Christ. If I claim Christ and I hate my brother, I don't know Christ. It's a negative indicator. Negative indicator. And then in verse 10, he says, But on the contrary, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, lives in the light, dwells in the light, walks with Jesus. Uh, If you know him, you should uh, walk in the same way in which he walked. That's the verse that we finished with last week, chapter 2, verse 6. And him being the light, like if you have love for your brother, like this kind of love that he's talking about, not just general love, not just like, oh, I really like you. You know, you're really smart. You smell real nice. Not that love. No, the Jesus kind of love. If you love me the way that I've loved you, this is what John's referring to when he's talking about love here and in the rest of the book, that kind of love, grace-driven, Jesus-inspired love. If you love your brother, it's proof that you're in the light. You're in union with Jesus. And then it says this, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. You're not going to lead people away from Jesus. So there's a couple things that are going on right here. Number one, like if you love people the way that Jesus has commanded us to love, number one, it's proof that God's changed you. Like it's proof that God's changed me because that's nothing that we're capable of on our own. We should not be able to do that. And even when we're equipped to do that by the work of the Holy Spirit, the seal that is in me, we're still going to flub it up sometimes. Like we're still going to mess it up. But again, this whole book is telling you, like if you have sin, hey, confess your sin. God's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have that caveat already there. We have that solution there. But this kind of love, like it's driven by Jesus, made possible by Jesus. And if it's there, it's proof that you know him, that you're walking with him, that you're living in the light. And then furthermore, like no one's going to look to your example of loving people like that and, and it's not going to point them away from Jesus. Where the other person that claims to know Jesus but hates his brother there in the darkness, that very well could lead people away from Jesus. He's like, but that guy who loves like Jesus or that gal who loves like Jesus, it's proof that they know him, but also it's pointing people to Christ, not away. Pointing people to Jesus, not away. Imagine the confusion, though, that the world encounters when they see people claim Christ and yet they're jerks. Like, I'm serious. Like, imagine the confusion of the world when they see people that say, Yes, I love the Lord my God. Yes, I know Jesus. Yes, I'm in church every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. I go to 12 Bible studies, 15s on weeks that have more than five Sundays. Like, imagine those people, but yet they're jerks. They don't love people. They just love themselves, and they love the stuff of God more than they love God. Imagine what the world thinks when they walk away from those people. I'll tell you exactly what they think. I want no part of that. 
But anecdotally, how many people have you met like that? The answer is a lot. And what I've learned by spell correct, that's two words, not one. A lot. And that's what the world simply can't believe. The world simply cannot believe or buy into a version of holy goodness when the people are jerks. Could, would you? I would not. Now, luckily for me, gracefully for me, I did know people that loved to the best of their ability like Jesus. Yeah, they messed it up sometimes, but they found ways to apologize to make amends for that. But thankfully for me, like the best apologetic that I ever witnessed was people that loved well, that loved well, claimed Jesus and loved well. But you saw their claim of Jesus by the way they loved more than what they said very often. Imagine if that was the way, the mode, the operating temperature of the church, the bride of Christ. Then Acts 2 would happen for us. They gathered together daily, breaking bread in their homes, receiving it with glad and generous hearts. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That would happen again. I have no doubt. Because the wor- what the world is dying to see is a love that they've never seen. And we get to be the ones that do it. And then we get to add words to it, which consist of the gospel. Whoever loves his brother, like Jesus, abides in the light, lives in him, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But John's going to repeat himself in verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, does not, where he, does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. That person's never going to find the way out. They're going to be stuck. No matter what they claim, If they don't know Jesus, it doesn't matter. John's terms are very concrete, and I I appreciate them. Like, I need them. Like, there's not a lot of wiggle room here. I think one of the biggest tragedies of the modern church is we try to find loopholes for how we love people. We do. Like, even within the church, we try to find loopholes. Now, granted, love's talked about a lot. Like, I think a lot of people are going to read this. They're going to be like, the beginning is Leviticus. Love your neighbors yourself. It's not the beginning that, that John's referring to. Again, the beginning that John's referring to is, is Jesus, that beginning. And we're to love as he loved, like love each other the way he loved. Um, but, but again, we don't do that because we try to find wiggle room. We try to find loopholes. We're like, ah, I want to love them, but they did this. And so I'm just going to let them figure it out before I love them. Jesus didn't give us loopholes. He gave us direction. And John's giving us indicators as to whether or not we know Jesus. And the indicators are how we love one another. So we can't love with loopholes. We don't get that option. And it is interesting. It's really interesting that that John starts this and he's talking about it in the form of commandment. Like, he's not saying, hey, there's a new suggestion, but it's not new. It's an old suggestion but it's new. He's not saying suggestion. He's saying commandment. Commandment. If we read that in Greek, we read it in Latin, we read it in English. It's all the same. Something we are told to do by someone who knows better. God. 
And John's speaking on his behalf, like verbally, plenary, verbally inspired word. Like John is speaking, inspired by God, to the church. Commandment. Like we're told, like, I know, I know we don't like these terms. But as believers, we're told you have to do this. Not so that we may be saved, but because we've already been saved. We are told we have to do this. Love like Jesus. He could have told us so many things that would have been so much easier, but he didn't. He didn't. He told us exactly what he meant, exactly what we needed to do for the most effect possible so more and more people would come to know Christ in the way that we love each other. So there's a couple ways that we could, we could tackle what we do with this. Number one, um, I could launch out on a diatribe to make you feel very guilty about yourself, okay? John doesn't do it. I'm not going to do it either. Now, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, okay, we deal with that appropriately. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you that you don't love people well, but you claim that you know Jesus, number one, you need to ask, do, do I know the real Jesus, okay? And again, I'm not trying to elicit guilt. That's not my goal. I just want us to be honest with ourselves. One of the points that we made in the end of chapter one was like, look, we just need to be honest about sin. We need to call sin what it is. Sin is sin. Sin is missing the mark that God has set, and Jesus is the mark, Okay? And so if we're missing that mark, it's sin. What do we do with it? We confess, we repent, we let God deal with that, bring about restoration of the fellowship, we go after it like that, okay? So if you're convicted by the Spirit of God that you're not loving people the way that Jesus loved people, yet you really believe that you know Christ, um, then yes, confess, repent, turn from that way of not loving, turn to loving, okay? So do that. My preference to do with what we do with this is just to ask this question and, and do it quickly because I just looked at the clock. If we are told that we need to love like Jesus, I just want to ask a simple question. What, what does that even look like? And I can't give, I, there's no way that we can give all of that today. But I do think in the context of where we are, the world that's looking, and I think here, here are four, okay? If we go to John chapter 13, it's going to pop up there really quick. Or 1 John 3.18 first. Can you do that one first? 1 John 3.18. I told you I, I would reference a little bit of 1 John. Um, did I even give you that one? Like I said, my brain. 1 John 3.18, really quickly. says, little children, let us, love in, uh, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. I think the first thing I want to point out before we, we tackle the, first John, or the John passage, the Gospel of John, I know it can get confusing for whoever's running slides this morning, is, again, it's not about what we say. Okay? Because we, we can say whatever we want. If someone says that they know Christ, but they don't love their brother, they're in darkness. Okay, we can say that we love one another, but if we don't, it doesn't matter. Okay, so, and even here later, John's going to be like, look, little kids, little children that I love, and I'm speaking to you as a grandfather to you kind of a thing right now, uh, let us not love in word or, you know, word or, or speech, but let us love in what we do. It's about what we do. And so if we go back to, to John, the Gospel of John, really quickly, just to remind you what's going on, what's being said. Again, um, Jesus comes in. They're gathered in the room, and of all the people that should stoop in that room to wash feet, it shouldn't have been Jesus. Like every time I read this story, I'm like, man, I've read this about 15,000 times, and every time I walk away with it, incredibly convicted, because I'm like, oh, man, goodness, this is the way that Jesus demonstrated love. So he goes into a room full of, you know, full of his disciples, his followers. He's the highest in the room. Like, he's God with skin on, 
walking amongst them. He's the Son of God. He's the creator of all things. According to John, he was there in the beginning. Why? Because he was the beginning. Nothing was made that wasn't made through him. He did all of that. And then he came down, walked among us. He's in that room with his 12, and of all people, to take off their outer garment and wrap something around their waist and stoop down behind filthy feet and wash feet, it was Jesus. That's crazy. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't compute. Should never make sense. But that's what Jesus did. And then at the end of doing that, he comes to them. He says uh, in, chat, in verse 12, he's like uh, 12b, he says, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because I am. So if then your Lord, your teacher, has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He said, did you see what I just did? Did you see that I stooped? Did you see that I made myself the least in the room? Did you see that I just served you even though I didn't have to? Did you see what I just did? You do it. You do it. The first way, uh, if we want to consider what it is that we do, not in word or, or verbally, but what we do, I think the first thing when we're trying to consider how do we love each other like Jesus is we just find every opportunity to serve one another. And this is the one another, by the way. Like We talk about uh, love has three directions in Scripture. We have vertical love, love for God. We have love for neighbors outside of the circle of the family. And then we have love one another. This is one another. And this is not saying that we don't love our neighbors, those who are outside of the faith family, but Jesus is talking about the way that we love the people of God, the people who have been bound to God through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and are now sealed by the Holy Spirit, the one another's. He says, this is what you do for one another. You, you serve. You serve. And again, there aren't any loopholes here. Jesus didn't say, you do this for one another unless, except. He didn't give either, any of those ideas. He just said, no, you do it. You saw me do it, you do it. We serve. But there's some, there's some attachment to this, too. There's some ideas. Like the way that he served there, like, to be honest, um, it was probably the best demonstration of humility that we have in the New Testament other than the cross. Like the best demonstration of what humility looks like other than the cross. Like him making, literally, like making himself less than everyone in the room. Taking on the form of a servant, a slave, someone who is indentured. That's what Jesus did in this room. Because the master of the house would never, you know, would rarely have ever washed someone's feet, especially if they had someone that they paid to do that, or someone that was indentured to them. It'd be that person's job. The master of the house would make sure that it was done, but it was rare that the master of the house would do it. Jesus was the master of all. <laughs> like he said, you call me Lord, capital L, Lord, like here. And he said, you're right, because I am. But I just washed your feet. If we want to love like Jesus, I think the first thing is we, we just serve humbly. Serve humbly. And that means that we put the needs, um, the desires, uh, the hopes, the dreams, the life of others before our own. Without loopholes. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Like, I think I want to attach that to the end of all of these. We love like Jesus. We, we serve one another the way Jesus did. Because again, in this new commandment, like same, same breath for Jesus kind of a thing. Uh, at the end of this chapter, he's like a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You just saw it. And you're going to see a lot more of it. He said, that's the way I want you to love one another. And every time Jesus served us, like he made himself less than us. He didn't have to serve us. 
He didn't have to do that. Like he left his place in which he was being sung to because he was that great. He was holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He left that to come here and stoop, to literally stoop, crawl around for 30 some odd years to make himself less. According to Philippians, to canoe, to loose parts of his divinity through obedience because we needed it. If we're going to love like Jesus, we serve like Jesus, and that's counter self. Like that's not normal. And it's humble. The second way, I think, just given where we are right now, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it just says, hey, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ being referenced here, love one another as I've loved you. So if we love as Jesus loved, we, we bear one another's burdens. So we've already said serve humbly, but now it's bear one another's burdens. Quite literally, it means take the weight off of someone's shoulders. Take the weight off of your brother's or sister's shoulders. Bear one another's burdens. So whatever is crushing our brother or sister, what is, is, is weighing them down, whether it be sin, whether it be loss, whether it be finances, whether it be struggles with life, whether it be depression, whether it be anxiety, whatever that is, find the way that we take it off their shoulders. Because again, the weight that was on our shoulders, again, if we're putting this in the, in the terms of Jesus, the way that he did it, the weight that was on our shoulders was our sin. It was going to crush us, empty us of everything that we had, lead us to spiritual death. And Jesus said, let me take that off your shoulders. I will carry it to the cross. I will die for that. And the wrath that was meant for you, yeah, I'll bear that too. Parakletos, we talked about it last week. Atonement, talked about it last week. Yeah, that was Jesus. And now in Galatians chapter 2, to fulfill the law of Christ, love one another as I have loved you, we bear one another's burdens, whatever that burden may be. No loopholes. Again, no accepts right here. No, you know, except for this or like that. Just, no, no, no. Just bear one another's burdens. Therefore, fulfill the law of Christ. Problem is, we can't know what's burdening each other unless we talk to each other. Sometimes we can't know what's burdening someone unless they tell us. Sometimes the world, you know, our, our family here, they're not going to know what's burdening you unless you tell them. So that means that humility has to go both ways. Humility enough to serve, humility enough to speak in your shortcomings. So one way you're providing opportunities for people to love you like Jesus is you being uh, transparent enough to say, hey, I'm getting crushed by this right now. My marriage is on the verge of falling apart. I need help. My kids are making me want to get in the car and drive to another state. I need help. We don't know how we're going to pay our mortgage this week. I need help. Hey, I'm struggling with this sin, and it's killing me. I need help. Your very struggle could actually be the opportunity for someone to fulfill the law of Christ. I want to say it again. Your very struggle could be the opportunity for someone else to fulfill the law of Christ. That means you need to share it. Is it addiction? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it financial struggles, even if you got yourself there by bad choices? Bear one another's burdens. Again, 1 John, I hate to reference back to the book that we're going to study a great deal, but right before that first verse, 1 John three seventeen, it says, Brother, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Eesh. So if you've got something that your brother or sister in Christ needs and you don't give it to them, there's another indicator there. 
Let me, put it, let me put it in community group terms. If I have something that my brother or sister in Christ needs and I don't give it to them, then maybe I don't know Jesus the way I think I do. Here's the third one. Galatians 5.22, people, people want to recite that, throw it out there, that's great. It's the fruits of the Spirit. Um, starts out a little bit before that, but it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, no man-made law. The fruit of the Spirit, this is the outpouring as a result of the Spirit that's redeemed me, that lives in me as a seal. These things should come out. Uh, I bring this one up because I think it's one that we struggle with. Patience. Long-suffering. <laughs> you know, like if we want to love people like Jesus, we have to be patient with people. We have to be patient with the one another's. I look at Jesus. He was incredibly patient with people that I identify with. Like Peter, I identify with Peter. Speak now, think later. Yep, that's me. You've been there. Neil, one of our elders, used to keep tally of all the dumb things that I said from up here. Because, you know, sometimes I got pinball brain, and whatever the ball bounces off of, it's what I'm going to say. Can't help it. And he used to keep a record of it. But here, like, man, patience. Like, I look at Jesus. He's been so patient with me. Has he been patient? Like if I ask, like a show of hands, has Christ been patient with you? We'd all be like, yeah, man, real patient. And that arm would get straighter and straighter. Just want you to see. Yep, patient. If we want to love people like Jesus, we need to be patient with one another. That means that some people aren't going to come around super fast. You know, we, we talk about that will, the infant, the, the child, the young adult, the parent as a, the span of a disciple. Like if someone's come to know Jesus recently, and they're like an infant, or maybe they came to know Jesus a long time ago, but they haven't grown because no one's invested in them. That's the fault of the investor, not the investee. Um, discipleship, again, hashtag, hashtag discipleship. Um, if they're an infant, and they need a ton of patience. Like if you're a parent with a young baby, guess what? They're not going to get this potty training thing right away. They're not going to get it. Infant believers are not going to get it right away either. We have to be patient. That's all I'll say about that. The fourth... Ephesians 4.32, I think this is the, the chief of what Jesus has done to demonstrate forgiveness for us. If it's not there, I've got it right here. And bingo. Be kind to one another, that's not it. Tenderhearted, that's not it. Those are great, but forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think if we want to put on display what Jesus has really done as the hallmark of his love for us, for forgiving us of all the junk that we've done and will do and could ever even think of doing. And then Jesus attaches to it, yeah, you, you need to forgive people the way I've forgiven you. Same way in which you love people the way I've loved you, by the way, the way I loved you is I forgave you. Yeah, forgive people the way I forgave you. Here's the thing that, that nobody likes to talk about when we talk about, like, community. The quantania, kind of an idea, this, this, this fellowship thing that we're, we want so badly. Uh, when we live in close relational proximity to each other, at some point, you're going to tick one another off. You're going to do something wrong. I'm going to do something wrong. I'm going to make someone mad. Somebody may be mad in here today at me. I don't know. If you are, I would love to know about it because, you know, I would love to seek forgiveness for that. But uh, when we live in life like this, like, remember, growing up in your, I don't know if you were close like I was in my household. There were four kids and, and two adults in my house. You know, that's, that's the way it should work. Uh, maybe not four kids, because that's crazy. But anyway, there were four of us, triplets first, then me, my parents, nuts, like I've said. Um, we lived in close proximity to each other. Like, 
you know, like space-wise, but also relationally. Guess what? We got mad at each other all the time. There were so many holes in the sheetrock in our hall because the three brothers, like we fought all the time, all the time, because we lived with each other. We were there. Like we heard the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, and as a result, we fought. Like it's what we did. We love each other. We forgave each other, but that's what family sometimes does. And I'm not excusing it, but I'm just saying when we live this life of closeness that I think that God has redeemed us into because we are flesh and spirit and we battle Every now and then, we're going to do something, and it's going to make somebody mad. Why? Either perception or reality, one way or the other. And forgiveness has to be the understanding before it happens. Because Christ already did it. He already gave us the example as to what it looks like to forgive. So if you're a grudge holder, if you're a grudge holder, may God convict you and change your heart. If you're one of those people that writes people off because they hurt you, and you're like, if they loved me, they wouldn't hurt me. No, no, no. The answer is, if you love them, you would forgive them. And now I'm getting up in your business. I'm just telling you. And I'm not going to apologize for it. Forgiveness is implicit with a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because there would be no relationship with Jesus if forgiveness wasn't there and a hallmark of knowing him is loving like he does and the way that he displayed it best was forgiving us of all of our broken, jacked up life. That's Jesus. And if we love like him, we forgive like him. So one, we, we serve humbly. Jesus demonstrated it all throughout. We bear one another's burdens. We take the stuff off of their shoulders, just like Jesus did with ours. We be patient with one another, because sometimes it just takes time. But then we forgive. We have to forgive. If we're in Christ, like in the light that he is only, like we don't get options for this. Like we, let me say it, we have to be this. Not so that we can keep our salvation because God's not going to unsave us, but as a result of whom we know, the work that he's doing in us, the partnership that we commit to to allow him to do it in us and the part that we play in saying, I'm going to make an effort to be who you want me to be. We, this is not an option. Not an option. So if it's not an option, what do we do when we muck it up? Well, we we seek forgiveness. We seek course correction. We repent. Maybe even confess it to somebody else. But man, allow God to work, allow God to move, allow God to change, and allow God to let me live out the way that he desires for me to live, which should look more and more like the life of Jesus.